fellow adventurers, I'm Josie Thompson and welcome to You Can Shine, podcast where I explore real stories of real people just like you and I who have faced adversities and trials and won. Today I'm here with Anthony Keeley. Let me tell you a bit about our guest. I met Anthony and his family around 2014 through a wonderful not-for-profit called Childhood Cancer Support. His little boy was receiving blood cancer treatment in Brisbane at the time, and I couldn't help but fall in love with little Anthony from our very first meeting. Now, big Anthony is one of 10 siblings born in Ireland and has faced his own fair share of challenges over the years. And we're gonna hear a little bit about those today. Anthony is partner to Tamsin and father to Emily and Anthony Jr. He loves to sing a lot and whistle a lot. And his grandmother even called him the Whistler of Ireland. So welcome, Anthony Keeley. Thank you very much, Josie, for that wonderful introduction. So Anthony, I've done a rundown of some of your background. Tell us your real story, you know, the story underneath who is Anthony Keeley? What are some of the formative experiences that have shaped your life? Yeah, well, I am, I was born in Limerick in Ireland. I've got nine brothers and sisters. You know, we, we grew up and lived in a council house on a council estate. There was just, it was wall to wall kids, you know, um, never a lot of money you know my parents my father worked my mum didn't work obviously with all the kids to look after but you know it was um everyone around me everyone in my family all drank it's just the way it was it's what we grew up with and from the age of you know two or three years old you're given sips of alcohol as a kid you know and my parents and all my aunts and uncles were sitting around singing and drinking and kids that run around and you'd give a sip, sip a Guinness, sip a cider. It was just a natural thing, hmm. you know, probably frowned upon today. But in that environment where I grew up, that's what it was. Hmm. And, I, and, you know, we sat in a room with maybe 10 or 12 adults, seven or eight kids. The room was full of smoke because all the adults smoked, <laughs> you know, and, and it was just, when I look back at it now, and compare it to today, it's just, it's just worlds apart because smoking is just so frowned on now. And it's, it was just a natural thing. So Anthony, was, was the fact that alcohol was around in those days and you, know, you were around it at, at the time a lot, was it considered bad? Was it something that as a child, you looked at it and thought it was bad or was that just normal? When I was younger, it was normal. You mm. know, it, it was just the way it was. Everyone did it. All the families where I lived, all the parents did the same thing. And even when I got older and, and going back to stuff that I can remember, you know, when my, when my parents drank, they changed. Alcohol totally changed their personalities, changed who, how they were with each other, how they interacted with other people, you know. And it ended up, most of the memories I have from when I was older, like a teenager, are not very happy ones from, you know, violence in the home. Um, you know, I, I love my parents dearly. But when I look back and, and, I, and I look at it, some of the things that happened, 
And you know, rather than me have bad feelings towards them, today I look at it, I look back at it and I think, I know for a fact that they did the best with what they had. Mm. You know, they they probably grew up in that same environment. And they they, you know, everyone is a product of their environment. So that's what they saw, that's what they did. And you know, they didn't know any different. That's how that's what they were shown as kids growing up. So naturally, when they got to the point of being adults, it just followed on. The, the cycle continued. So at what point did you realise that it wasn't safe or it wasn't good? You know, when, when we were kids, we'd sit at home and my parents would be out at the pub and we'd sit there and we would listen. And one of us would stand outside to see them coming down the street. And we'd want to hear whether they were laughing together or whether there was some stern words being spoken. And then we knew something was going to happen, mm. you know? And, and like, I remember having to run out, go to my grandmother's house, get one of my aunts or uncles to come down to separate my parents, you know, and get one of them to go to bed. And I won't say sleep, but pass out. Mm. So then the other one could go to bed later and, and then they'd sleep it off, you know? Mm. And it's, it's, it's very strange to look back on it because of what I went through in my life, now I look back and I can see what it was. I know what it was. I know where it stemmed from. And I know what the issues were because I went on myself to do, to get into the same cycle. You know, it, it followed me, you know, up, up until a point when I decided that I had enough. So let's go there. Obviously, this was a, an influence from your childhood. And so now you find yourself in your teens, I'm, I'm guessing. And so what happened to Anthony? Yeah, so I, when I was 16, I got an apprenticeship as a carpenter joiner. And I started earning my own money. And, you know, my, me and my friends used to go and drink bottles of cider in the field and all that sort of thing. And, and when I was 17, I had a fake idea. I was going to nightclubs and, you know, just drinking in general. It was just, it's, it's what we did. You know, again, following on from what I saw, it's what I did. Everyone where I lived did it, so I joined in. And, um, you know, really, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved going to nightclubs, you know, dancing, all this stuff that went along with it. You know, a good, a good weekend was going to the nightclub. If you were lucky enough to pick up a girl, pick up a girl, get into a fight, have a hangover the next day and deal with it, you know. That's just how it was. And it went on like that for quite a while. And I, and I absolutely loved it. It, it, didn't, it didn't do anything bad to me. It was just the way it was, you know, and, and, I, and I got on with it. But it did reach a point where something changed. You know, I, the drinking, it progressed. It got more and more, it got more frequent and how it made me feel changed. So, you know, the alcohol that I was drinking stopped doing something for me and it started doing something to me. And it did that for, I continued on with that for quite a while, you know, and, and until I got to the point where I just didn't like who I was. You know, it reached, it reached a point where I actually saw myself in a shop window and I did not like what I saw. You know, I, I, I had woken up on my parents' couch, separated from my partner again, from my drinking and my behaviour. 
and I went for a walk and I did, didn't like my reflection in the window, you know, and I decided right there and then I have to do something about this. You know, I did not like what I saw and maybe part of me saw what I was turning into, you know, and, and like I've, I've said previously, I love my parents. I would never say a bad word against them, but I think I was turning into them and, you know, I don't want to be that person. You know, I just didn't want to be the kind of person that my kids were scared of, that they didn't know who was coming home. You know, it's not a nice, looking back at it, it's not nice. It's not a nice place to be, especially as a kid. Mm. Because, you know, kids, kids don't forget, you know. They remember everything. And especially from the peers and the adults in their lives, that's, what, that's who they learn from. So, you know. So you started drinking, you know, properly once you started earning your own money at 16. You started going to clubs at 17. You noticed the drinking becoming more. And I was really fascinated by something you said there, that the drinking um, went from doing giving you something to all of a sudden doing something to you instead of giving you something that you were getting before. So how long was... Were you in that pattern of drinking before you had that moment of insight? And what was that moment? Yeah, so I drank from, I had been drank from when I was about 14, you know, when we used to get some money together. And, and the last time I had a drink was when I was 28, you know. Now I had, so when I, when I stopped, I had been drinking for half of my life, mm. you know. So, but like I said, the early years, had a great time I wouldn't you know I wouldn't say to anyone oh you should never drink I had a great time but it started affecting me in a way that it shouldn't you know alcohol really should sedate you but it elevated me it made me feel it changed my perception it changed how I looked at things it changed how I felt about myself and it changed what I thought about myself it made me taller stronger made me bulletproof made me a great dancer made, made me the most handsome guy in the room you know it went it was the kind of thing that I could go somewhere if I was invited to a party and I would feel awkward going in because I didn't feel like I fitted in I felt you know I shouldn't really be here with these people and after two drinks thinking these people are lucky that I'm here Wow. that's how it changed it went that quickly from one extreme to the other mm. and it made me feel totally different and then it, it elevated me elevated my it sped things up in my head everything just went you know everything just went totally opposite to what it should have been and to what it had been you know it just changed my whole perception about everything and so when did it become a problem? What was the moment, the defining moment that when you went, uh, okay, no more, this is it? Yeah, so I had been, I'd been split up, broke up with my partner many times because of my drinking behaviour. And, and, you know, and not, not just the drinking itself, but my behaviour. I was never violent towards her. I, from what I saw as a kid, I always swore I will never, ever hit a woman. It's just not something that I would do and and I really I'm very proud of myself that I never did that um, even when I was 
totally oblivious to what I was doing because of being in blackout. I still, I know that I never did it. It was just something I said I would never do. Mm. But it got to a point, like I said, waking up on my parents' couch, my father waking me up. I'd been drinking for two or three days. I was a mess, same clothes, everything like that. And, and he just woke me up and said, you know, get up and wash your face and go for a walk or something. And that, that I saw my reflection in the shop window. And I thought to myself, I was 27 years old. And I thought to myself, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I really can't keep doing this. Anthony, what did you see in that reflection? Part of me saw my father. And part of me, I, I, I think I caught a glimpse of where I was headed. You know, I had had suicidal thoughts previously to that. You know, I had stood on the bridge a couple of times. I just didn't have the guts to jump in, you know. So, I, and, and I looked at myself and I thought, you, it's not going to end well. You know, I, I'm either, there's three places I'm going to. I'm either going to the graveyard, to the prison, you know, or into a mental institution because of how my head is getting, because of the, the alcohol and what it's doing to me. Mm. And, and I just decided right there and then I need to change something. You know, and that was the moment that, that I took the first steps to change in my life. So, Anthony, it sounds like it was a pretty defining moment. You just made that decision. Was it a simple, I mean, it sounds pretty definitive, but what did it take for you to actually commit to that decision? And then, you know, how did you stick to that resolution? So I, I had made the decision. I made a phone call. I phoned an organisation that helps people with alcohol who have alcohol problems. And a guy came to see me, you know, a guy that I'd never met before. Never, you know, I spoke to someone on the phone. They told me, we'll get someone to come and have a chat with you. And this older guy showed up, never met him before, went for a walk with him. He asked me, he said, you know, and the reality, when I look back at it, I made that phone call. First thought in my head was to get out of the hassle I was in, you know, get out of the grief I'd caused with my partner and with my job and all that. I wasn't 100% sure that I was going to stop drinking forever. Mm. You know, I, wa I wasn't totally sold on it, but I knew I wanted to do it. Mm. And this guy spoke to me and, you know, he spent 20 minutes and we had a chat and he said to me, look, I will, um, I'll come back later and pick you up and I'll take you to a meeting that I go to and, and you know, you can see what you think. And when he left me, I thought to myself, I'm never going to see this guy again. You know, that's the end of that. And, you know, he came back when he said he would. Mm. He came back, he picked me up. And as we're driving to where we were going, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I never met this person before. He took time out of his job to come and see me, to talk to me, to try and help me, you know. And I couldn't believe that. I'd never experienced that in my life before. Everything I'd experienced up to that point, if someone was helping you, it was because they wanted something back. And this guy didn't want anything from me. He wanted to help me, and that's all he wanted. You know, I was later to find out the reasons why. As I went on my journey, I found out the reasons why he did it. 
and the reasons why I know do it, I do exactly the same thing. Mm. But I just, I didn't understand it at the time. But, you know, I was willing to do anything I could to try and change my life. So, Anthony, you weren't convinced that this was going to work and that all that you were going to follow it through. What did it take for you to follow it through and to now be how many years sober? 19 years next Wednesday. Well done. (laughs) Yeah, what has that taken? You know, what have you learnt? And what are the things that our listeners can learn from you in terms of really committing and being able to support and support yourself through the journey? So I went along with this guy and I, and I continued to go for, for, a couple, for a few months and I didn't drink. I had no issues in my life, but I didn't buy into what they were, what they were telling me. I just thought, I'll come along for a while, it'll be okay. And I did that. And then I stopped going along. And within a short space of time, I drank again, you know? And I, and I, I re, I went right back to all the same problems again in my life than what I had previously. Everything just reverted right back to where it had been. And I decided, okay, maybe I'll give it another go and I'll try again. So I went back and tried again. And it worked again for a few months. And I decided, you know, and I thought to myself, okay, I've done it twice now. I'm able to control things. And I stopped going again. And within two weeks, I was drinking again. And I had all the same problems back in my life. Mm. And it was then that I decided, okay, I looked back over those times and I had done it for other people. I had, I had done what I had done for other people. And at that moment, after the second time of drinking again and causing all the same problems, I decided that I was going to do it for myself. A guy had told me at one of those meetings, give yourself a go, you're worth it. Now, I didn't think I was worth it at the time. But again, this stranger thought that I was. And that time I thought, okay, I'm going to do this for me. I'm I'm not concerned about what other people think. I'm doing it for me because I am worth it and I deserve a chance at a better life. And that I went and I, and I went 100% for me. I went down the road of making myself the most important person in my life. And even though I've got a wife and kids, I've got a job, I've got nine brothers and sisters, countless nephews and nieces, grandnephews and nieces, I've got a huge family. I am still the most important person in my life. Because if I'm not right and I'm not doing the right things, I can't help anyone else. If my life is falling apart, Mm. like it had been, I'm no use to anyone. I'm no use to my family, my job, or anyone else around me. So Anthony, what had to shift for you to go from the space that you were at before where you were not the most important person in your life to actually becoming the most important person in your life? It's, I realised that doing living my life how other people thought I should live my life instead of living my life how I wanted to live my life wasn't working because all it was causing was resentment in my head. I was doing things that other people thought I should do mm. and not doing the things that I would like to do myself. Mm. And when I did those things, I thought, I used to think to myself, I don't even want to be doing this, but it was making someone else happy 
So I thought, oh, I'll just go along with it. But then oh, it was at the expense of my happiness and my peace of mind and serenity even, you know, I just, it just wasn't working. Mm. And I decided, no, well, at least if I make me happy first, then I will be happy doing those other things, you know? And, 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 and I learned one of the greatest things I learned was to be able to say no and not feel guilty about it. Mm. That is a big thing mm. to say no and just not feel guilt, you know, because I used to say no and then feel terribly guilty and then go and give in and say, okay, we can do that. Mm. And then I'd feel bad about myself for doing that. So it wasn't working for me. So what did you learn about yourself and what was the greatest challenge? The, the greatest challenge for me was coming to believe in something greater than me that could help me. And, and the biggest thing that I got through my journey is acceptance. Acceptance that I cannot do it. Someone else has done it. If I follow their instructions, then I can do it. And accept that and not think to myself, see, my, I used to think I can do it better than them. Up to that point, I hadn't done anything. Mm. But my head used to still say, you can do it better than them. And I, and I think I had to accept the fact that I couldn't. I had to see that these people have done what I was incapable of doing. Mm. They are willing to pass that knowledge on to me. I have to be accepting of that and just, and just take a step back, be humble enough to say, I can't do it. Can you help me? Mm. And they did freely. They gave me everything they possibly could. And, and I just let it, I just let it all come in. Mm. I followed instruction. I did what was asked of me. I helped other people, you know, and from that, it has flowed out into my life in all other areas. It's not just the drinking, my drinking side of my life and all that. It, it has flown out into other areas of my life. I've become a lot more settled. Um, you know, I'm calm. Everything has just settled down and I don't need something to give me that. Mm. You know, I, it just comes naturally. So what were the biggest lessons learned? I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the fact that I am strong mentally to be able to beat things that I used to think I could never beat it. You know, my at the beginning, when I was told, you know, you just don't have to drink one day at a time. My head went forward 20 years. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do when I'm 50 years old? How can I be 50 and not have a drink? Because everything in my childhood, anytime mm -hmm. there was a birthday or anything, it was drinking. Mm -hmm. Any occasion, have a drink. You know, it doesn't matter. Weddings, funerals, christenings, births, everything, have a drink. Mm -hmm. You know, have a drink, sing songs have fun and and I projected you know I projected into the future and I remembered the past and I just wasn't living in the moment and, and I learned that is a great thing that I have learned is to live in the now right here right now there's not a problem it doesn't matter what else is going on in my life but right here right now there isn't a problem so Anthony I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here 
If you were sitting with someone who was really struggling with alcohol and said, you know what, right here, right now, with this drink in my hand, I'm, I'm happy. I'm actually really good. I don't get what the big issue is. How would you guide this person? It's, I'd need to know. See, I, I was the same. Mm. I, could, I could sit there and have a drink in my hand and I could project outwardly a nice image. See, which is, I was, I was of the type that I would, I would rather look good and feel bad than feel good and look bad. You know, and I could project outwardly that everything was good. But on the inside, it wasn't good. I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel confident. I just didn't feel good about myself in any way on the inside. But the outside told a different story. And people didn't see, you know, you can't, you can't see what's going on on the inside, mm. mentally, especially mentally. And down, down here in my gut where, where, where it means something. Up here is one thing, but down here is something totally different. Mm. And that's where it needs to happen. And I just, I didn't feel good about myself. Mm. So it sounds like you've really come a long way since then. And you're now going on to help a lot of other people on their journeys with alcohol as well. What are some of the nuggets of wisdom that you'd really love our listeners to hear about this whole you know, addiction journey and, and what you've learned? You know, you've got to believe in yourself. Mm. If you have decided that you are going to change your life, and the reality is you are the only person that can change your life. No one on the outside can do it for you. Believe in yourself. Never give up. You're going to stumble. Everyone stumbles from time to time. It's, but it's not about how many times you stumble. It's about how many times you get up and try again. You know, and always, always, no matter what anyone else tells you, Always seek out the facts of things. See, words, someone can tell, people can tell me anything they want, but it's only words. Words don't make anything true. I like to seek out the facts of things for myself and have a direct experience of something, and then I know it's true. You know, no one, no one could tell me what a mango tastes like because it won't make any sense. I have mm. to have a direct experience of tasting a mango to know what a mango tastes like. Mm. So, you know, it's just that, seek out the facts of things. Don't let anyone else tell you what you should or shouldn't do or what is or isn't. Get the facts, put them inside and, and know, believe it. Mm. Have the belief that you can do what others have done before you. Mm. It's, it's, you know, people, and, and I speak for me, I really did not know what I had inside me because it was never nurtured as a kid. You know, I was never encouraged. When I said I wanted to do something, I was never encouraged, yes, go and do it, go after it. So it was never nurtured. It was kind of like, if I said I wanted to be a professional footballer, the answer is you're never going to do that. Mm. You see? So it was never nurtured. And it was always suppressed and told you're not good enough. I never knew what was inside me mm. until I changed my life, changed my thinking around my life and my perception changed and everything about me flipped over. Mm. My thinking, my attitude, my perception, 
everything changed and I started to see what's really inside. When I started to let it out, I started to get rid of a lot of that suppression stuff that was holding it down and let it come up from inside, you know, and, and I had to, I, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I had to come to believe in a power greater than me because I could not do it on my own. Mm. And I've met people in, in my recovery program. People get confused and think that finding God or a power greater than yourself is a matter of adding something, but it's not. It's a matter of getting rid of a lot of stuff to let it in, mm. you know, because it's, it's, it's covered over with all the rubbish that we've put up with all our lives. Yeah. And it's all stuck in there. It's about getting that out. And then it's just there. Mm. It's, an, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, I like um, when I take people on you know meditation journeys, I like to just let them know that there's this place within you beyond the noise, beyond all the stories we tell ourselves that is perfectly still, it's perfectly calm and perfectly loving. And we can't actually access that while we're listening to all these other voices that distract us from the truth yeah. of who we are. And it sounds like you really touched that space and you're able to sustain that so congratulations thank you very much and I'd really like to just now fast forward to 2014 because it sounds like this was another really big pivotal transformative experience tell us what happened in 2014 so yeah in in 2014 our son Anthony uh in February he started complaining about sore legs he wasn't sick, he wasn't unwell, he was just complaining his legs were sore. So, you know, we he had started back at school, new school shoes and all this sort of stuff, and he'd been changed out of his classroom and he didn't like his new school bodies. So as a parent, and again, reverting back to what I saw as, as, as growing up as a kid, I just assumed that he's just playing up a bit. He's six, he's playing up, you know. But he, he carried on, and so I brought him to the doctor. Doctor checked him out. Doctor said, ah, oh, his bones are strong, legs are strong. He's probably got some growing pains, new shoes for school. He'll be okay. Mm. Fair enough. And, of course, I said to Anthony, no, the doctor said, you're okay, you know, as a parent. And then it carried on for, a couple of, for another week or so. And he went to a physio, and the physio checked him out. He said, oh, he's healthy, all good. He's, he's not a problem, growing pains. And then a week or so later, still complaining about his legs. And that night he was going to bed and he actually got sick. And I just thought, something's not right, you know. He was starting to look a little bit pale in his face and I just thought, oh, we need to go back to the doctor and start again. So next morning he woke up, he wanted to go to school, got sick again, thought, no, you're going to the doctor. Went to the doctor, they sent him, we lived, outside of a major city. We lived in Yapoon outside Rockhampton, so they had to send him to Rockhampton Hospital in an ambulance. He took a bit of a turn in the ambulance. Um, and, and, you know, then they gave him some antibiotics, went to the hospital. They thought he might have had meningitis. So we got to the hospital, me, Tamsin and, and Emily. They're in a room all suited up. It looked like mm. nuclear disaster. Mm. And then the doctor took the suit off. And he said, you know, come inside. So we went in and he said, he doesn't have men men enjoy this. He said, but something's not right. We'll do some tests. I said, okay. Still 
not thinking anything bad. It's, you know, it's, it's not something that you think. It's just, oh, he, he's okay. He's sitting in the bed playing iPad, you know. And an hour later, doctor comes in and he, he, leaned, he kind of knelt down next to Tams and I was standing up. And he put his hand on her knee and he looked at her and he said, you know, he said, uh, we've got some results back. She said, okay. And he said, yeah, your son has leukemia. And immediately Tamsin just fell apart and cried. Tamsin's mum was in the room. She cried. Emily is in the room. She cried. Anthony's playing iPad, you know, and looking down. And I'm standing there and I think to myself, even if you want to cry, you can't cry. He needs someone to be strong. And he looked up at me, gave me a thumbs up. I gave him a thumbs up and he went back to playing his iPad. And because of my journey and the level of acceptance I had gotten in my life, my head said to me, it is what it is. What do we need to do about it? And the doctor looked at me and he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, what needs to happen? And he said to me, he needs to go to Brisbane. I said, okay, when does he have to go? And he said, right now. And I just said, okay, make it happen. Mm. I've told that story to people and I still can't believe how clearly I was thinking mm. at that moment. It was, it's really strange to be thinking that clearly after hearing what the doctor said. You know, there was no anger. There was no sadness. It was all just about, okay, it is what it is. We need to make it better. What do we need to do? That's a really, really powerful message because clearly you were able to learn that through your own experience with, you know, alcoholism and getting to a point of complete acceptance and surrender and healing, you know, and instead of getting bitter, you decided to get better. And so in this moment of, of crisis and in need of your, for your son, you know, you, you, I'm sure you felt that compulsion to feel the, the, the fear of what was and the reality of what was going on, but something inside you, you tapped into it. That yes. said, it is what it is. What are we going to do about it? So you really got in onto that front foot and took decisive action to focus on solution rather than the problem. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't going to be a victim of mm. something. Mm. You know? I'd been a victim for a long time of lots of different situations. Mm. And I wasn't going to be a victim to something mm. that had invaded his body. I thought, no, we're getting right in front of it and we're going to stay in front of it. And I, I, right there and then, I knew. I didn't think, I didn't hope, I knew that Anthony was going to be okay. I just knew it 100% that he's going to get through it and he'll come out the other side. You know, it was just, I just believed it and I knew it. So, Anthony, from your perspective, how did what you learned through your own experience with addiction inform your approach and your process through that, those years? Because it took, what, four years to get through all of that? It was before he yeah. finally rang the bell. It was four years, and yeah. almost five actually before he mm. rang the bell. Yeah, mm. and yeah, I remember that day. You know, mm. I was there. I was there with you guys. Mm. Yeah, so it was a big did, occasion. How did your experience inform your approach? So I, I, I had been through challenges through my own recovery, 
And I'd gotten to points where I thought, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm just going to drink again. Mm. But I knew, I knew where it was going to lead me to. And I knew I was better than that. I knew I was stronger than a liquid in a glass. And, and right at that moment, I knew that Anthony was stronger than what was in his body. I could compare it to that. You know, I thought, he's strong enough. You know, we're strong enough. And, you know, as a six-year-old kid, he didn't know what leukemia was. He had no idea. It's just mm. a word to him, mm. you know, and it didn't, it didn't phase him in any way at all. It was just a word. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I, it, the mental side of it is a big thing for me. I, I'm a firm believer in that, you know, the mental capacity that we have can beat anything. As long as we are positive and sincere and believe in what we're doing. And not doing it just for the sake of, oh, I'll give it a go. Because that doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for this person. Mm. I have to 100% know, if I'm going to do this, it's going to work. Mm. And, and do it. And I knew, like I said, I knew at that point, he was going to be okay. But I had to, I had to get into his head too. You know, um, early on in the first week or so, when we came to Brisbane, I remember that the doctor was given, going to give Anthony medication and he didn't want to take it, mm. you know? And he, you know, the, someone said something about him being sick. Mm. And when they left the room, I thought, I had listened to a lot of, a lot of stuff, inspirational stuff in my mm. recovery. Mm. And I remember in particular, listen to Endoyer and something he said, and, and I thought, I'm going to use this stuff. And I'd used it previously with Emily on something else. It's a mental stuff. And I told Anthony, I said, you need to understand, son, you are not sick. And he kind of gave me that look as if, you know, I'm in a hospital bed, I'm taking medicine, you know? And I said to him, you're not sick, son. I said, you have an illness in your body that we are going to beat. I said, don't ever think that you're sick. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you're sick. And don't ever, don't ever act up as though you are sick. I said, you have an illness. We're going to beat it. That's all you need to know. And he said, okay. Again, at six years old, you see, he just thought, okay, I'll do that. And never in the four and a half or five years after that, he never once complained about taking medication, mm -hmm. having lumbar punctures, having blood transfusions, mm -hmm. having IV chemo. He did all of those things and never complained again because he, I, I just got into his head and he knew this is what we need to do to make me well. I'm not sick. And he went through, and luckily for us as a family, how he was through the treatment made it a lot easier for us mm. because we did see other families struggle when the kids played up. And, you know, when the, I mean, kids take advantage. Kids are extremely clever. Yes. You know, they're a lot more clever than adults give them credit for. So, you know, and we as parents decided, no, we're standing firm. You know, I remember one time Anthony didn't say thank you to one of the nurses and, and Tamsin said to him, hey, use your manners. And he said, OK. And he said, thank you. It was it was a way of letting him know just because you're in hospital doesn't mean you get away with stuff. Mm -hmm. Everything yeah. stays the same. And it was good for him. It was really good for him. Mm -hmm. And even when he had bad days, mm -hmm. you know, he, I remember one time when I, Tamsin had him at the shops in Woolworths, I think it was, and he needed to sit on the floor. And he had a, a vomit bag and he had to get sick. 
Mm. And he sat on the floor, did what he needed to do. Tamsin told me people are looking and going, I wonder what's going on here. And when he finished, he got up and carried on with the shopping with mm. Tamsin. There were, it, it wasn't like, oh, I got sick. I need to go and lie down or because he knew that's just part of the process. And he, yeah. luckily for us, he bought into it, mm. you see, and he already knew I'm getting better. This is part of getting well. Mm. And he totally bought into what I, what I told him. And it was amazing to see. So, Anthony, in terms of sustainable practice, what keeps you well? What keeps you on track? How do you sustain the remarkable space that you're in now? So even after 19 years of not putting alcohol in my body in any form, mm. I still know that if I do, I know where it will take me. Mm. I know 100% where it will take me. Mm. So I still do the things I was told to do at the beginning. I go to my meetings that I go to. I speak to people. I have a sponsor or spiritual advisor that I speak to for guidance. When I've got issues in my life, I call him and I speak to him. I meditate, you know. I, I, I get up in the morning, 4.15 every morning. I write, I read certain things in the morning. I write an email to my, to my sponsor about my plans for my day. And then I just sit quietly for 10 or 15 minutes. And I just sit there. I, I don't put any music on, I don't put anything on, I just sit quietly. Hmm. And I still do that today. I did it this morning, mm. you know, and I help other people as much as I can. Mm. It, one of the big things for me is to have constant thought of others. You know, I had to, I had to make the journey from my head to my heart. Mm. And then that allowed me to help other people because there's no, you know, there's, there's economics of money and there's economics of the heart, you see? Yes. You know, and, and they're different. And when I give to my time to someone else to help them, I don't want anything in return because doing that sustains me. Helping someone else sustains me. Mm. And then to see someone else progress, it lights me up. It really lights me up. And I speak to people who have been on the journey before me. And then I speak to people who are coming on the journey behind me. And I'm the bridge. For now, I'm the bridge between those two. And every one of those people is a bridge to someone else, you know. But it spoke, the people that sp spoke to me spoke to my heart, not to my head. Yeah. And, and you know, my, my, my sponsor's sponsor, he hasn't had a drink in 44 years. And he talks about this and, he's, and, and he says that, that, you know, Nelson Mandela once said, if you speak to a man in a language he understands, you get into his head. If you speak to a man in his language, you get into his heart. Mm. And someone had to speak my language, you know, and that was people who had been and done what I had been and done, not someone from the outside looking in. Mm. Anthony, what a beautiful story. If people want to connect with you or know more, where can we direct them? You are free to give people my phone number, my okay. email, any contact information you have for me, feel free to give it to whoever wants it. I love, okay. I love talking to people and mm. if it's to help someone, it is, it's an amazing thing. 
it's it's what I do in my recovery. It's what I do in my job. Yeah. I help other people and show them what I've been shown by others. Anthony, what an inspiration and true light you are in the world. You've really showed us that no matter what our circumstances, you really can rise and shine again. So thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's, I've really enjoyed it. Now, if Anthony can do it, so can you. If you like this podcast, share your comments with me and tell me what you loved about the interview and how it was helpful to you. Help spread the love by sharing the link with your friends so that they too can rise and shine. So until next time, remember, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond that counts. Shine on. You can shine.